welcome to another episode of Innovation Crush. Innovation Crush. That's me uh, doing the the echo that Robert would have done earlier. <laughs> so <laughs> he's not here, uh, but I do have a lovely woman sitting across from me by the name of Stephanie Harris Byers. That's correct. Hello, how are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Good. Um, and tell me a little bit about you. Uh, you know, where do you come from? What do you do? Oh, where do I? Come what do you from? like? <laughs> I'm a producer, film, television, and theater. I've been in Los Angeles about 26 years after I graduated from Michigan State. Yeah. Go green. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I love all things innovative. Uh, don't we all? Um, so thank you for being my, my special guest co-host today. Absolutely. Uh, and if you guys heard a little bit of a chuckle or almost a woohoo, you, you almost couldn't hide your excitement, could you? Um, the, uh, the, what we're talking to today is Coach Harlan Barnett from the Michigan State University Rose Bowl Championship Spartans. Yes, sir. Go green. Go, Go white. white. <laughs> uh, I got to say, I was there for the game, and it was go green, go white all day long. Like, I mean, it, this was a 12-hour day for me, you know, from 8 in the morning to 10 at night. Was there any Stanford people in the I think there were like stadium. seven people. There were like seven people from Stanford. I know people who were on Stanford's site from Michigan State buying up their tickets. I mean, it was oh, yeah. tickets were at a premium. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, matter of fact, when I, I took the train from downtown to Pasadena, and it was like our car was all green, and there was one dude from Stanford with his like five or six year old son. And I was like, "You guys are in danger." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Come with me." If it was like Terminator, all of a sudden, if you want to live, come with me. Um, and I kept calling him Stanford and son. I don't know why, but um, so um, this is Innovation Crush. Uh, if you guys aren't familiar, we kind of look at the you know some of the best innovations in the marketplace. Um, and I think when it comes to winning the 100th Rose Bowl uh, after a 26-year lull, um, you have to have some innovation <laughs> in your approach to the game. Um, so for starters, uh, I want to say happy birthday to you. Um, and uh, I'm sure that was a great uh, birthday present, that championship win. Absolutely, it was. Absolutely, it was. Um, actually, my uh, thank you, first of all, for <laughs> the belated birthday wish. My birthday was actually the next day. That's... Uh, on the second. I and, didn't uh... know that, Coach. I'm sorry. I'd have had a cake baked for you. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> Believe me, I celebrated when I got back home. I was going to say, what was that party like? A, it's your birthday. B, it's New oh. Year's. C, it's, you just won a, you know, <laughs> just won a championship. What is that like was... landing, you know, when you get back on the ground there? What was that like? Oh, it was great. It was great. We had fans at the airport that met us, regardless of the weather. And then we had more fans meet us at our uh, at our football complex uh, when we got back there. So it was awesome. It was awesome and um, great fan support. I like to give a shout out to all the Spartan fans. It was great fan support out there in Pasadena, as well as when we got back here to East Lansing. Uh, they really showed up and showed out, and that was great. That's really awesome. Were there any couches burning when you when you got back on campus? <laughs> no, no couches this time. Ah, boo! No, just kidding. <laughs> we're we're not representing ourselves correctly. Oh man, <laughs> we we did that after the championship game. I guess they they calmed that down. <laughs> I couldn't believe that. I was like, really, couches burning in East Lansing? Oh, what, is, what has East Lansing come to? <laughs> <laughs> what is East Lansing without a couch burning after a big win? Oh, on the frat, on the frat party, right? Yeah. All right, uh, and this is also kind of full circle for you right like you you also were a player at uh michigan state if i'm correct 
Yes, you are correct. I, uh, I was able to play in the, uh, the last time we were out there in 88, the 88 Rose Bowl, excuse me. And uh, you couldn't have told me back then, because that was my son, you couldn't have told me we were it was going to take 26 years to get back. Matter of fact, I thought we were going to go back two more years after that, and who knew? 26 years later, I go back as the coach. Nice. Um, so, fourth and one, right? You know, yeah. very little time left on the clock. Um I, I like to think that we've all sort of been there, right? We've all sort of been at that, those moments of pressure um, on the verge of something incredible, if not impossibly incredible, about to happen. Um, what goes through your mind at that point? Like, how zen are you? How, like, are you balled, balling up your clipboard? Like, what's happening with with you in that moment? Well, right then and there, you know, first of all, you look at the time on the clock. It's still a minute something on the clock. Uh, they still were on... Um, on um, their side of the uh, of the 50-yard line. So you're thinking, okay, if they did make it, we still got time. They, they have to get a touchdown, first of all. They, a field goal wouldn't do them any good. So, you know, you're thinking, okay, if they, they, they make it, okay, we got to still play with good defense, have a good call ready to go, and those type of things. Obviously, they don't make it. We win the game. And uh, we uh, had seen in previous film uh, study that they would, you know, do certain things on those, in those situations. And sure enough, they stuck to what they like to do, and that was what we were always told about Stanford. They're going to do what they do. You just have to stop them. That's right. And uh, fortunately, our guys were able to uh, come up with a great stop on fourth and one. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then um, I, I, I fast forward a little bit to this uh, viral video I see online in the locker room. <laughs> I mean that. Uh, there's a few questions I have about <laughs> about this video. So uh, for the people who haven't seen it, it's basically the entire team, the the president of the university, uh, some somebody's little boy who must have been like seven or eight years old, um, and the coaches just going off and rich homie Quan, uh a rapper who you know has a song um some type of way so uh kind of walk us through that like how is a is that just something that always happens in the locker room now, obviously not to that level but uh just walk us through that moment the 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 ambiance in that room and like how to just kind of turn into like a, a a really awesome party that's gotten a, a ton of views online well, well I'm, I'm gonna take you back a little bit at the back during um before summer camp, actually, uh, Coach D'Antonio mentioned about, you know, we need to celebrate wins no matter how they come. You know, we need to celebrate wins. Because a lot of times as a coach, you win a close game or something like that, and uh, you're like, oh, man, I'm upset. We won, but I'm upset. We didn't play the perfect game and all this type of stuff. Right. Whereas then we, he said, we're going to celebrate. But we're going to play some music, and we're going to dance after every win this year. So that was new. That was started back in the summer, uh, him talking about it. And sure enough, after every win, and fortunately this year it was 13 wins, uh, <laughs> nice. we, we we danced. And that's what we did. And then uh, some type of way just happened to be the song that the that the, uh, the team liked and the fellows liked. And so every game, we did it. And, uh, and, and some games, Coach D wouldn't let the cameras, no cameras, no cameras cut it off, you know, just that and other. So it wouldn't get out there. But obviously the Rose Bowl, he let everybody in, and that was the first time not only the president but our AD was in there too. He wow! So that, that was awesome. It was it was a great feeling, especially in that locker room, big old spacious locker room, and you know we just would huddle around uh, as a team, and 
One person get out in the middle of the circle and dance, and the next person gets out in the middle of the circle. And I'm proposing for next year we actually do a soul train line. I was going to say that, Coach. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, we might as well just take this on back. I'm going to have to go back and look at the time code to see where you might have been um, and, and, and bookmark that so <laughs> to, to see how, what kind of moves you have. Uh, well, you know, uh, I, I, and I, me personally, I only danced after the Iowa game, which was our first Big Ten win. And uh, they were trying to coax all of us to get in the middle of that circle. So they got me one time, and that was it. And Other nobody recorded that? The perimeter. Nobody recorded that one? Uh, no. They didn't get the <laughs> Iowa one, so that was good. <laughs> hey, Coach. Some old have... 80 dancers back then, I was too. Going, so. I was going to ask you, because, you know, growing up, you get to a certain age, and everybody has their dance. You know, my father's was like the rock. Oh, you know, and, and, you know, and now that I've gotten a little older, I still bring back the gigolo, right? <laughs> so, Coach, what's your dance? Well, well, the one I did that day, one of them was the cabbage, cabbage patch. Y'all remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Coach, I don't think you realize this, but you and I were on campus at the same time. Yes, we were. Yeah. Yes, we were. We got a chance to talk about that a little bit when we were out there. But yes, we were, you know, and, and, and my wife, Tammy, and I met here at Michigan State and uh, we were talking about it's so big. And, you know, this Stephanie it's like its own little city. So and, and, and you had the suburb, you know, you had you had different communities within that city. That's right. And you, you were over in the Brody complex, I think is what you told. No, us. I was in Gilcrest. Gilcrest, was, Gilcrest. The Virgin we Island. Uh, I was near the football building in Case Wilson area. Right. By the way, I, I don't want I don't want you to leave me out of this conversation because I also am a Spartan alumni. So um, <laughs> sorry about that. Don't don't discount me from this <laughs> from this ex- experience. Well, let me ask you this, so Chris, like, did you were cell phones, you know, going on when you were on campus? See, because we didn't have the the liberty to you know text somebody to say meet me at the union. Or it's, it, the- it was too cold to pull that thing out anyway. It's, you know, you walk across the tundra like you like that. You just you just make your way across campus like. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. but cell phones have just come out. You you touched on something really interesting, um, and I actually wrote it down, which was celebrate, celebrate every win. Um, uh, how like how, how important how, is that, and how do you instill that? Because you know it, it is hard. Like when you talk about like you know, you know th- things you could have done differently, things you could have you know you should have done, and 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 also when it's a team effort, right? Like I could have been a complete failure. Uh, you know, in the time that this game has has lasted, or at a project that I'm working on at work, but then the team wins, right? So how how important is that philosophy? Well, I think it's very important. And again, this is the first year that we've done it, uh, and credit to Coach D'Antonio for doing it, um, because like I said, first of all, you're never going to play a perfect game, and there's always going to be somebody, especially a, a perfectionist, and a lot of athletes are, and, and coaches to a certain extent are perfectionists, want to do everything the right way, you know, see it done perfectly. And it's just not going to happen throughout the course of a game. But when you realize how tough it is to win a game and you say, okay, we're going to celebrate after every game, understanding that, hey, we might not have played perfect, but we did win the game and and, and we're moving forward. So it it wasn't that difficult, especially after we did it a couple of times, you know, to, hey, hit it, Coach D says, hit it, and the music comes on. Right. Boom! The whole the whole place lights up. So it, it wasn't as difficult as it sounds, especially after we, after doing it uh, a couple times in a row. And then I, th- I think I think about this idea of you know the, the spirit of that right is that you're not just coaching the techniques. You're not you know it's not like 
there are a lot of great athletes out there, right? And there, are, but there are, are few great organizations, um, and especially when you're dealing with kids who are 18, 19, 20. Um, what kind of life lessons do you think celebrate the win gives them to you know? Cause especially you as a career, you know, player, coach. Um, what are some of those things that that stick with them that you try to instill as a coach outside of you know the the mechanics of the sport? Well. Um, as far as life lessons are concerned, you know, what you learn is in life, and, they, and like you said, they're 18 to 22-year-olds, you know, so they don't fully understand life totally yet. Uh, wait till you leave college is what I say. But um, what, what I think what this will help them to do is say, okay, as you go through life, it's not always going to be perfect. Everything is not going to always go your way. But there is going to be more good than bad. And, when, and, and with that good, you got to appreciate the good and celebrate the good when it does happen. And uh, I think that's a, a big life lesson in our, you know, dancing after a game and all those type of things. Yeah, it might not have been perfect, but uh, in the end, it still was to your good and uh, and uh, celebrate it. Why not? Right. Um, that's, that's, that's a great response. Uh, when I look at, you know, again, this show is kind of like marketing and innovation, and, and I, I feel like sometimes the best stuff comes, and you probably know this from production, Stephanie, is just like sometimes the best stuff comes from pressure. When you know you, you don't have a lot of time to think about something, and you're like, "Fuck it, let's just let you know, <laughs> let's just do this." And but it it, it it may feel like a fuck it moment, but it's all, but it's actually you know I feel like that's when some of the best creativity comes out, some of the best strategy comes out. Can um, can you talk about that? Because I think it's also it's a, it's a little bit more extreme when it comes to coaching because you're putting a lot on the line, right? Like. One wrong move, not only does a team lose, but you could be coaching women's little league in you know in in Alaska somewhere, you know. No, no <laughs> so, question. Well, you know, different. Well, let's go back and talk about it. like what you just said: pressure and, and things coming up quick, and you're not necessarily totally prepared. But you know, throughout the course of a season, you only have a week to prepare for the next team. A little less than a week, to be honest with you. And then every team will have a little. A uh, little tweak here and there in what they do. And so you're talking pressure. Hey, man, we didn't practice that all week. What was that? What did they just do there? So you're trying to figure out what they do, get back to the sideline, make adjustments, and hopefully the young men pick it up. And that was the good thing about our team this year, especially defensively, because defensively, I'm one of the defensive coaches. Um, our guys came to the sideline. We told them what we saw from up in the booth. Uh, here's the adjustments that we're going to make. And those guys went back out on the next series and made those adjustments. And that's part of pressure, being able to understand how people are trying to attack you in a short, a short amount of time and be able to make the adjustment and go out and get it corrected and then, and, and then play to that adjustment and uh, execute it. You know, every so, time, every time pressure, you answer like something. You said, pressure is, it can, some it makes some and breaks others. And uh, right. fortunately, I think we got a lot of young men on our team that it, that it helps make, make them. Well, you know, being married to a football coach, I, I, I watch him watch film and understand the process in which you guys, I mean, you, you prepare. You prepare. And a lot of this, the things that the pressure, right. you see it coming. I mean, even if it wasn't that particular team, you've seen it before. Right. And so, I, to, to Chris's benefit, you know, I'm the football girl. My husband said, he married me because of my football acumen. I'm always lobbying <laughs> for a job. He won't hire me, Coach, can you? <laughs> I hear you. Oh, and, and also, we do prepare, you know, we do prepare heavily on this. I mean, we put a lot of time and energy into it. And uh, I tell people all the time, during the season, 
I, we spend more time together as coaches uh, with one another than we do with our own families. Here, here. Because that's how many hours <laughs> that we're putting in. That's how many hours we're putting in during the season to get prepared and, and show up on Saturday and have a great performance. That's right. I'm a football widow. I get it. <laughs> a football widow. That's a, it's a, it's a, a sad state of existence. Uh, <laughs> Um, well, even when you talk about that, right, the, the camaraderie between, and I have to have a disclaimer here. Like I'm, I'm not the sports guy, right? This, uh, I should have given you a warning. This was not going to be the sports interview. I wasn't going to talk to you about plays and, and That's stuff okay. like that. That's okay. <laughs> no, no, no X's and O's, Chris. <laughs> exactly. No, as, as Stephanie's in here flexing at me, um, I feel like she's going to put a hit on me, like right in the middle of the show. <laughs> um, but no, I look at like, you know, um, the coaching staff as a unit. Right. Uh, or even deeper than that, as a as a family, um, when you spend so much time together, because we you know, we, we, on the show, we also spend a lot of time talking to, you know, founders of organizations. Right. And when you are in the trenches, like building an organization of any sort, you know, you're you are 24 um, seven right next to each other. You know, you're going to butt heads. You're going to find points of alignment. Um, how, just talk, walk us through a little bit of that. Um, the, the ecosystem of communication and relationships amongst the coach, coaching staff and how important that is to, you know, a, a winning season. I got you. Um, first of all, like you just said, we do have a lot of continuity um, on our staff and camaraderie because we've been together, especially our defensive staff. We just finished our 10th season together. Wow. Uh, three at the University of Cincinnati and seven here at Michigan State. Um and, and I will take that take that back a little bit. We our our staff had did not change one person through the first nine years, which through last season. And then after last season, after the 2012 season, uh, we changed out our defensive line coach. And so we got a new D line coach, and uh, and he he hopped right in like he's been with us all 10 years, and uh, and it rode very very smoothly. And each one of us have a function in what we do to help become the defense that we have. Um, I, I hand because I'm the defensive back coach, I will handle looking at the pass plays, all the pass plays that the team does. Um, our linebacker coach and, and will look at all the run plays, all the running plays, and then our defensive line coach will look at all the pass protections and things like that. Where and our def, and our defensive coordinator helps put it all together, and we come together and we communicate it, and, and our system works. So and it all comes together to formulate a great game plan, which you end up seeing on Saturdays. But you got to have uh, camaraderie. You got to have a respect for one another, uh, the continuity, and uh, and just you know, um, like I said, the level of respect more than anything. Right. When you're working with somebody, if you have a a great level of respect for them and what they do and appreciate what they do, then it all comes together perfectly. And that's not only on the football. Uh, and a football staff, but that's in in work life general. I think I was going to say, uh, uh, yeah, and, respect, and then it can work. And just taking that a, a step further, like how do you build that? Right, like it's one thing to sort of do the job, and like you all right. like each other on you know in right. the office or on the field. But I think you know in building, you know, the trust and the the true camaraderie, not just workplace camaraderie, but like. Right. You know, you're my brother in a sense, right? How, what kind of tactics do you guys take to make that happen? I got you. Um, well, during the season, there aren't too many other things to do other than be with one another. <laughs> right. But in the off season, I will say this: in the off season, there are different things that we've gone to um, 
Uh, Coach D'Antonio has a lake house up here on Lake Michigan. We've all gone over there. What's the address? Out. And, just, and just, just the fellas, just the coaches. <laughs> you know, we hang out over there and just, you know, have a good time. Um, we've, we've gone on uh, different trips and things like that together um, with our wives and our families. And so in the offseason, you help build it up even more. And uh, it, it's just great, man. Like, like I said, we've been together for 10 years. Right. So, so after a while, along with doing those little things, those um, those uh, work relation builders, I would call them, I guess, in the off season, time is also a big factor, obviously, and the building the camaraderie and trust. Uh, the longer you're together, you get to know somebody even that much better. And um, you know, but other than just doing little little side things, like I said, going to his house, going on vacations, things like that. It's been great. I will share this, too. I don't think you'll mind me saying this, but when uh, we won 11 games what, in the 2010 season. Right. And then, we, then we did it again in 2011, 11 games. After both of those seasons, the month of February, Coach D'Antonio and his wife got the entire staff and their wives a, a week trip paid to Mexico. Mm. Wow. Okay. So we had 13 wins this year, so we're going back again. <laughs> exactly. We're going and back Febu again uh, in February. So we're looking forward to that. So that'll be three years that they have, you know, gotten us trips. Now, last year we won seven games. We didn't go to Mexico. <laughs> right, right. But, you know. You, you barely went of, to New Mexico. Right. On <laughs> but just to get out of Michigan in February, I can only imagine, you know, to get to no some question. more climate. No question. Well, Coach, I wanted to say this also, too, or at, to ask you about the camaraderie that you guys build amongst your team in terms of making young men adult men. And so if you could speak on how football gets them prepared for life, because we know everybody's not going to make it to the pros, but can you talk about that? Absolutely. Um, you know, one thing that we do, uh, and we've been doing it for 10 years, because Coach D'Antonio, you know, a lot of people know, he coached under Jim Trestle two different times, one at Youngstown State in the 80s and then, uh, early 2000s at Ohio State as his defensive coordinator. And he brought something uh, to Michigan State, actually to the University of Cincinnati when we first got together, and then continued to bring it up to Michigan State. Uh, that Trestle did was something called a winner's manual, okay? Excuse me. And we give out the winner's manual every year during uh, tour days. When we first start camp in August. And the winner's manual has all kind of, I mean, everything is in it. And these once we hand them to these young men, it's theirs to keep for life. And they get a new one every year. But it has all kind of great information in it, not only about football, but about life. And um, throughout the course of two days, and then we're talking about building camaraderie amongst the team and the coaches, um, throughout two days, we have what we call quiet time, every time before we have a, a team meeting. And quiet time is you go through, there's a section in the winner's manual called quiet time. And it has different quotes and different things. It's talking about love, caring, toughness, those different type of things like that, uh, knowledge. And we'll go through, okay, today we work, we're talking about love. And so you have a bunch of different quotes on love and this, that, and the other. And then after everybody, you know, reads them in quiet time, just being quiet for about three, two or three minutes, then Coach D'Antonio said, who has one? And then one of the young men will raise his hand, and he said, you know, he'll read a love quote. And another kid will read a love quote. Another one will read it. And then he'll call a coach up. Each coach is assigned to one of these categories. The coach will then come up and show a video on what he thinks is love and then talk about it as well. 
So that's one of the things that we do early on in their career, especially uh, a freshman just coming in. That's one of the main things that we'll do to help build the camaraderie amongst the team and amongst the, the coaches, uh, having those team meetings and having that quiet time. Um, other things that we'll do, you know, you hear a, a lot of other programs talk about they don't meet as a team um, every week during the season. We meet every day as a team uh, that we're allowed to meet with them. We meet as a team. And then we'll break it up into offense and defense and then even further down to positions. But I think meeting as a team on a daily basis, even if it's only for five minutes, allows us all to come together, talk about the common goal and the mission of that particular week, and then allows us to you know, grow stronger together. So um, hopefully I answered your question, but that's pretty much how we'll build up our camaraderie and and helping the young men, like you said, become men, it, it becomes an individual thing. And, and I just thought of something else here, too. We also are um, coach had a, had the coaching staff draft players to be their mentors and we be their mentees. And it can't be somebody that you already coach um, wow. in your like I'm a defensive back coach, so I can't be a mentor to a defensive back. Gotcha. I have to be a mentor to an O-lineman, a running back, a wide receiver. And we all have about uh, seven to ten young men that we uh, mentor throughout the course of the year. And we just call them, hey, man, how you doing? How's right. school going? How your family? Those type of things, along with our, our position players also. So that's another way that we, you know, bring the team together. That's special. Now, now for the a great majority of the – speaking of defensive coaching – um, for a large part of the season, if not the entire season, Michigan State had the number one defense in the country. Um, and I, I don't think you can do that in a, in a game as old as football without some sort of innovation, right? And I, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, what's sort of your personal philosophy, your personal approach to coaching and getting those kinds of results, right? Um, and what do you think that you do differently than most organizations that you've seen? Um, we, we, and people always talk about think outside the box and things like that. And we do some things, Chris, that are outside the box a little bit. When when people look at us and, and watch us play on defense, they, they about figured us out. After 10 years together, and, I, and, and let me go back to the number one defense thing. I, this is what I tell people all the time. I said, we've been together 10 years and we know what we're doing. Hopefully, we are number one or in the top five at <laughs> right. least. I mean, ten years is a long, long time to be together to not know what you're doing. And uh, and and so far as recruiting young men, the right young men to fit our system, and then uh, you know going out and talking to other people about what they do, and then incorporating that into what we do has allowed us to become one of the top defenses in the in the country. And and I, without giving away too many trade secrets here, Chris, but um. One thing we do, and I'm, it's going to sound simple, but and not as innovative. <laughs> um, but Sometimes it's, it's real so simple. We play, we play basically, and everybody knows this. Cover what we call cover four, a quarters coverage. Each each player has a quarter of the field, as far as the defensive backs are concerned. It's four defensive backs on the field. Each one of them has a quarter of the field that they have to cover. That's what we play. We do cover, we do cover four, and we also zone pressure you. We're going to blitz you. Uh, but the way we zone pressure you is a lot different than others, way different than others. And people have been trying to figure it out for the last four or five years, and we don't give that secret away. <laughs> but how we zone pressure you is nobody else in the country does it. Nobody else in the country does Matter of fact, when we first started, started doing it and talking about it back at the University of Cincinnati, I even told Coach Narduzzi, I said, man, you crazy. 
<laughs> you know, and uh, and but we've all on board. We've got it figured it out, figured out over the years. There were some tweaks we had to make uh, in it, but it's, it, it it really really helps us out big time in what we do and allows us to be as good as we are. So as far really? as innovative, we try not to just stay stagnant and do the same things that uh, everybody else is doing. Um, we try to go against the grid a little bit, saying, okay, they're not going to blitz on this down and distance. The book says, do not blitz on this down and distance. Well, here we come. We're blitzing. <laughs> we right. Don't, we don't do things that, at, at, uh, at times that we think that they're not, don't think that we're going to do them and allows us to have success uh, against a lot of teams. So, um, and, and also what we'll do, like, and it's coming up, after our Mexico trip. Uh, <laughs> you keep well, throwing that well, in there. I know, right? He had, he had the accent right and everything. Mexico. Me- Mexico. We'll go, we'll go and talk to other teams that obviously we don't play. But over the years, we've talked to professional teams and coaches, uh, really the coaches, obviously, and, and co- as well as collegiate teams or coaches about what they do and, and if they're similar to us. And we'll talk to them, and we'll talk to them about what we do. Like last year, we went down to LSU as a defensive staff. Uh, we've gone to, to multiple places over the course. We've been to the University of Georgia. We were at, we've been to Nebraska before, before they were in the Big Ten. Uh, we've been to Tennessee. We've been to uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Detroit Lions. I mean, Pittsburgh Steelers. Right. We've been to a lot of different p- people. Every year, we're always trying to seek knowledge on trying to get better. So we don't stay stagnant. And we stay innovative, Chris. <laughs> now you're getting it. Uh, no, it's funny that you say that because, I mean, we, you know, another thing that comes up frequently on the show is perspectives, right? Gathering different perspectives other than your own. You can easily get locked in the box, right? You talk about being outside the box. You can easily get yeah. locked in the box, especially in something like athletics where, you know, you have, you have secrets, like deep, you know, deep, dark secrets that are trade secrets that are locked away. Under yeah. you know under the stadium and twenty four hour security, <laughs> right. so um, and you know you find that in business or in entertainment where people have an idea or they have something and they don't they don't want to share it because they feel like they're going to give it away or they're going to lose it in some in some way shape or form. We're really we're in a world that's always evolving. And so, you know, especially in something like sports, you've got you know, you've got different personalities you're dealing with, different physical capabilities, different weather. You know, global yes. warming has an effect on like you know practice. Um, and so, I, I think it's really I, I didn't realize how much of your job, you know, at least from what you just said, is perspective gathering. Yes. Let's absolutely, speak. absolutely. That's the way you get better and and don't stay stagnant. And can't anybody just predict what you're going to do at each and every moment of the of a game? Speaking of evolving, so what do you think, or how do you feel about Maryland and Rutgers joining the Big Ten? I think I think it's good, uh, Stephanie. No, you don't. <laughs> no, no, you. Yeah. <laughs> you why? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. That was a big. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> because. It allow us to get more of that East Coast market. Okay. Uh, you know, Rutgers over in the New York area, you know, and we already recruit the New Jersey, D.C., Maryland area anyway, mm-hmm. and allow us to possibly get some more guys. I know they'll be saying, well, hey, we're in the Big Ten also. Why go to Michigan State when you can stay right here at home at Rutgers in Maryland? But, you know, it still allows us to get in there in their homes and, and let them know their parents to be able to see them and those type of things. But more than anything, to me, the East Coast market. Uh, and, you know, you keep hearing about the SEC, mm-hmm. and uh, rightly so. They won seven in a row, uh, national championships. Uh, just streak just ended, though. 
And I think that streak is going to, you know, it's going to turn around. It's going to turn around because the Big Ten is still one of the best conferences in the United States, in my opinion. And you can talk all that SEC stuff and all that. And just like you mentioned a few minutes ago, Chris, about weather and stuff like that, put one of those teams up here and let them play against the Big Ten and get into November. That's right. Hey, Coach, I'm from Buffalo. Minnesota, November 30th. (laughs) As a Buffalo Bills fan, we always wanted the big game during a blizzard. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. No doubt about it. So, you know, the elements come into play and all those type of things. But as um, far as Rutgers and Maryland, I have no problem. Uh, before, I'm, I was just a pure Big Ten guy. When they brought Penn State in, that was right after I left. And I was like, what? What, what are they doing? <laughs> now Penn State's part of the Big Ten. Hey, nobody thinks about it. Now and Nebraska came in. And so um, to add Rutgers and Maryland, those guys, I'm, I'm cool with it. Because I, I, I think it's going to bring uh, great attention to, to the Big Ten uh, conference. Um, that the new um, East-West that we're going to have, I think the East is going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle, sort of like the West and the SEC. It's going to be a battle. Not that our not that our West side won't be any good in the Big Ten. They'll battle as well. But right now, the way the teams are constructed, I think the East is going to be a big time battle. And whoever comes out of that is going to be going to be sitting pretty well. I gotta say, every time you say something, I, I get amped up. I feel like I want to punch somebody. <laughs> Um, but, um, aside from that, you, you talked about something really cool, which was, you know, the marketplace, right. And the market share, whether it's from a recruiting standpoint or just from even, you know, a school is a business, right. At the, at the end of the day, and they need to make money and they need to have brand presence. Um, I had something in my notes, you know, when you look at sports organizations as brands, right. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you, especially from the inside looking in or inside looking out, if you will. Um, what is it about football and maybe even sports in general, but just like that gets people so excited, right? Like, you know, like when, when I look at the Rose Bowl Stadium, uh, two thirds of 93,000 people, and that was only inside the stadium, let alone all the hoopla and stuff happening outside, right. Um, right. were Michigan State fans. What is it about this craft, this game, this sport that makes people go crazy? Right, like, you know, to, to that extent. I think it goes. I think Chris, it goes back. You asking me this question, I'm answering off the top of my head here. Sure. But I think I think it goes back to, you know, long time, ancient times, man. You know, you get the people in the the Roman Stadium and they and they're and they're battling in the Coliseum, and people like to see mano e mano, man go against man, uh, and, and battle. You know, and 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 being physical. I think people like that. You know. And uh, and that's why football is so is so um, popular right now. People like to see you know the test of wheels going at each other. Am I stronger than you? Am I smarter than you? Can I uh, be more in- innovative than you, Chris? <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's I think I think just people like that. You know, my team versus your team is um, uh, it's just a lot of lot of excitement. Um, and I and I haven't had the chance, and I will someday. I talk to my wife about it all the time. When I retire now, I'm gonna retire in a, in a NFL uh, and NBA city, I know so I can right. go to all the games and I can become that fan. Come on, to LA, we're gonna get a the team. games. And so you guys probably can tell me a little bit about more more of this question than I can you because I'm currently was a player and now I'm a coach, so it's a little different. But uh, I can just I just think people like to test the wheels and people going at each other and right. and running around hitting people and, <laughs> and, and seeing people and seeing if you can make people miss and all that kind of stuff. It's just it's just fun. Now I don't I don't agree with 
Some people take it too far and beating up people in stadiums after the games. and It's not that serious. Right. It's not that serious. Now, for people that bet a whole lot of money, it is that serious. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully, hopefully none of us are doing any of that. Nah. And you can go out and enjoy it. <laughs> well. <laughs> take it as it is and go home. And <laughs> well, you know, you see it even at the, you know, the peewee and the junior levels. If oh, parents, man. I think those are the worst fans ever. Those parents yes. are vicious. Yeah. You're not kidding. You know, I I, um, I hear about people all the time arguing and betting at little peewee games. I, I can't believe it. I couldn't. Can't, but, but the problem is, Stephanie, a lot of people already, they're living through their kids. Yep. Right. And so they they think they are, and with ESPN and all this, because it wasn't like this when we were growing up, not this many ESPNs and high school games on TV and all that kind of stuff, you know. They they already got their kids in the pros. Right. And they seven, they six, seven, eight years old. And they, mm-hmm. they say, shoot, my son and my daughter, whatever, they're gonna make it this far and we can live off of them. Well, and I think that's sad. That's but, real sad in my opinion. And even to that point, I think that's I think that's where like the Uber fans come in, right? I think they see oh they take the wins and losses so personal, right? And if you look yeah. at like I was just thinking about this now, and I, I could be absolutely wrong, but you know, a lot of the major sports organizations are like you know, middle America towns, you know, blue collar. Like when I think about the Detroit Lions where, I, you know, I grew up in Detroit yeah. and, you know, Detroit is very much a blue collar manufacturing, you know, yes. middle America city. And you don't people aspire to some sort of personal win in their life. But sometimes it's their only escaped or their only access to that is through some sort of. Um, exterior experience, like watching a sports organization, watching uh, the underdog, you know, like you said, right. battle it out, like, uh, you know, I fight to the death to for the win, right? Um, right. So to, to sort of dovetail from from your answer originally, I, I think you answered it definitely from the perspective of a player, <laughs> which is just like, I'm, you know, I'm here like, oh, yeah, like it's, it's a challenge, which is also part of the part of the whole thing, right? It's like um, p- pushing your limits. Right. right. Put, and then like who who can go further? Um, exactly. So I, I think that's that's uh, really awesome. You also talked a little bit um, uh, kind of about uh, just this idea of what's changed. Right. I think when you I think you played was 88, 89. Was that the Rose Bowl that you that you pl- personally played in? Yeah, I played in the 88 Rose Bowl. Yes, okay. I did. Uh-huh. So um, what's changed both on and off the field since then, right? Because I think about this idea when we were talking about pressure earlier. And again, when you talk about these parents or fans, they can be really mean um, and parents can go at the coaches and at their own kids or at the other team's kids or whatever it is. Uh, But now you've got digital media where hundreds of thousands of people can have that same voice. Oh, you asshole. Oh, why'd you drop the ball? Like everything. (laughs) And so there was a bunch of noise that that can enter a player's head a coach's head um how do you shut that out like and that's kind of i guess you know and what's changed what tactically from 88 to 2014 well um what you see a little bit that has changed well really football is cyclical meaning that some of the stuff that you see that you saw way back then it'll come right back around um although you know everybody see now the running quarterback so to speak um, in a lot of ways, whatever, all that is, is option football back when we were growing up. You know what I mean? Right. He, he just wasn't in the shotgun. That's right. But now, now, you know, you see these quarterbacks running around and it's okay to take it into the NFL. That's so that's one of the things that has changed 
Uh, the quarterback is more of a mobile guy that not only can, you know, throw it, but can run around and, and, and pick you up yards that way. Uh, that's one thing that a lot of people are starting to go to, I think, a lot. Um, also, the hash marks in college football have changed since I last played. You know, that they were wider uh, back when I played. They narrowed the hash marks. Uh, and it's been a little while now since they've been narrowed. Uh, but uh, uh, supposedly to, um, you know, make more of the field open up for everybody to, you know, do their thing, basically. If you, you notice, that's why they have it, the real tight hash marks in the NFL. And they've always been like that. But the, uh, the NCAA moved them in a little bit, not as tight as the NFL, just to have more freedom of movement. So those are a couple of things that you've seen uh, uh, change uh, throughout the course of the years. Right. Um, um, far as uh, and what was the second part of your question? I was, just, I'm sorry. I was thinking about like the idea of digital media and social media. And oh, yeah. oh, everybody yeah. that, having a voice and an opinion, and you can get sucked up into that really easily. Absolutely. All, arm, all the armchair um, coaches. Right. <laughs> right. We um. Well, let me tell you a story. Two years ago, when we played in the um Big Ten championship game, we played down in Indianapolis against Wisconsin. Um, uh, Isaiah Lewis. Um, one, he's from Indianapolis, uh, ran, you know, he was going on a block punt. We called a block punt and he brushed up against the punter, you know, it was a crucial part of the game. And, uh, and obviously, you know, we lost the game, Wisconsin won, but all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, the social media people wanted to kill my man, Isaiah, and I, that <laughs> made me mad. you know, cause he's right. one of the players I coach, defensive back coach, and they shooting out all kind of bad, you know, stuff towards him on Twitter and, and then social social media, and uh, not that he is a guy that can get truly affected by that stuff, but even he got affected by it. Right. And he's right. a guy that is normally not affected by stuff like that. Excuse me. So I I know that it's it, it you know there's some good things in it. Don't get me wrong, but uh, if you focus on it too much, it can really mess you up as a player, as an individual. And 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 the best I can describe it to when I was playing was reading the paper all the time. Right. 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 If you read the paper all I'm the sorry, time, reading you're gonna, a what? You're gonna mess yourself up. I saw <laughs> I saw I Earl tell Carson basically time. wear his own self out in Cleveland when I was with the Browns, because uh, uh, he read the paper every day. And then they end up firing Bud after a year and a half coaching at Cleveland. But you gotta stay away from that. And I tell our guys, I try to tell the defensive backs in particular. Hey man, don't don't. I said one minute they patting you on the back, and the same people that's patting you on the back, you lose. They're gonna be talking about you. Right. So don't 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 go get too high or don't get too low when you're hearing different things and you having success or not having success. Do you find that you that's got, do you, you find know, that that do you find that that's harder now? Just because I I think the difference between you know reading you know, the newspaper right is like you had to make an effort to go get a newspaper yeah. and pick it up, and and yeah. most times like it was your parents that read the newspaper, versus yeah, first, like this is like, very native to no this doubt. generation like it's on their phones like it's with them 24 7 so no, they, no doubt they, no doubt about it and what coach d'antonio has said a couple times uh in team meetings okay this week fellas we want to go dark on twitter okay nobody's tweeting you know nobody's and we know that you know like you said it's right there in the palm of their hand with their phones right so right. they can see all that stuff but you try to make a conscious effort to tell them to be more conscious of hey man no tweeting no, uh, on, don't get on Facebook. You try to mention every now and again. Of course, we can't monitor all of that. We can't see because a lot of us follow one another. We can see if they're tweeting or not and all that kind of stuff, but we can't control if they're reading it or not. We don't know that. But um, you try to just tell it to them, and hopefully some of them listen and, and, and will, you know, at times say, okay, I'm staying away from this stuff for a little while, you know. And uh, 
you know, it's funny you bring that up because my wife and I have talked over the years about, you know, how, and I said to you guys, how do y'all remember before cell phones? That's what <laughs> you I know, was saying. You yeah. remember that. I remember being in college and I was like, okay, uh, mom and dad, I'm going to call y'all uh, next Tuesday. I'm going to call Colette, <laughs> yep. okay, on the phone. Right. And now, you know, you just pick up your phone, call any old time, and, and I can't leave the house without my phone and my keys. Those are the yep. first things I look for before I leave the house. Absolutely, absolutely. So this is a different different world, um, totally. And and like Coach D'Antonio says to these guys, he said, you know, y'all live in a love, lot tougher time than we lived in with some of the pressures that you have because of social media and things like that. And And it's true. Yep. It's true. Well, you know, they that, got a lot of different things going on, and, and people can access them so quickly now that uh, they get to reading that stuff. It can mess them up. And so you try to hopefully educate them on those type of things and, and help them build to become stronger and more mature. Was there any, was there, so, was there any sort there, of, um, uh, I don't know, stuff that bubbled stuff. up around uh, Max's troubles in the social media, and, and how did you have to, um, to curb that? You know, well, when he first told the guys about Max, which is when we got out there to L.A. and we had our first team meeting that night on uh, Christmas night, um, he told him about him and he said, hey, nobody tweets about it. Nobody says anything about, you know, Max. You know, if you if, you, if they have any questions, um, tell them to see me about it. But all you can say is I, I don't know anything and and ask Coach D'Antonio. Right. And and and. That, I, I got it. I'm proud of our guys for doing that. I mean, people to this day are still saying, "What happened with Max?" <laughs> well, so I thought that was awesome that everybody. That's great because you. It's, in house. That was awesome. That, yeah, yeah, it is awesome because I mean, it just it takes one click of a button to to do it now. Exactly. Where, you know exactly. And, and a lot of a lot of the guests that we have on the show, you know, if if they're starting a you know a new project at a, at a company or you know things that they need to keep under wraps, it's a lot easier, you know, because it's not as yeah. social of a thing. But at, on the flip side is information is so accessible and it travels super fast. You know, you can't think about how many yes. people, how many times that people have tweeted, you know, pictures of the junk and then try to try to, to delete it. <laughs> Whether no, they're politicians. It's out there, it's out there. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it, and it's no pulling it back. So uh, kudos to you guys for like, you know, just the getting out in front of that, um, that firestorm. Um, so you, you also had some years as a player yourself, obviously. Um, and, uh, I wanted to ask you just sort of, you know, like, I guess like in any career, at some point you go from being a player or, you, you know, you go from the cubicle to the big office, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think you took with you from, whether from experience or advice you've gotten over the years from, you know, being on the field to the sidelines? Um, <laughs> one of the main things I, I, I base my coaching off of – Again, playing for so long. I played from third grade to 30, basically. <laughs> wow. Football. Yeah. Okay. And, um, you know, you have coaches, I, and I tell my guys this all the time, but you have coaches that that are, you know, they, they, they all they can do is get on you. They All they can do is get on you. And even when you do it right, it's like, okay, you did it right, good, no problem, hey, whatever. But when you do it bad, they all over you, cursing you out, this, that, and the other. And, then, and, and so I said, I'm, I don't want to be a coach that I can get on my guys and I can also congratulate my guys the exact same way. Right. The exact same way. So you mess it up, I get on you, you do it right. I'm like, great job. That's a great job, so-and-so. And so um, that's one of the main things that I've tried to apply in my coaching over the years. And hopefully I don't stray away from it. And I ask our guys, because we have individual meeting with our guys 
uh, after um, spring football. And I ask them all the time, you know, what what do I need to do? What Help me get better. Is there something that you don't like? This time, air it out right now. Coach Barnett, I can't stand you. I want to kick your butt. Whatever, whatever you got, say it. Say it right now. Well, you, you know? know what, Coach? It and, sounds uh, like you're a player's coach. I think coach. that's good. Say it again. I said, you know what, Coach? From being around football, you are what they call a player's coach. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. But, and, and at the same time, Stephanie, sometimes when people hear that, they think that the coach is too soft on no. his players. No. And and that's not and that's not me. But I, I agree with you. I mean, I I got a great relationship with my guys. I feel like I do anyhow. Whereas I can you know have fun with them, but at the same time, when I say something, it means something. Absolutely. Right. You know you know what I mean. Yeah. And that was and and people always used to ask me when I got done playing, who was the best coach you ever played for? And the best head coach I ever played for was Bill Parcells because he was that way. Right. You could, you know, off the field. Hey, how you doing? How your family doing? Da da da. But when he says something about, hey, you need to do this and get this done on the field, you listen to him. You didn't take him as like, oh, that's just Coach Parcells, my friend. Right. It didn't happen that way. And that, and I thought he had that balance. And it's hard to get that balance. Right. It's hard to get yeah. that balance. But if you can get that balance, uh, I think just in teaching in general. Well, especially with with aggressive some. males, right? <laughs> well, well I, if yeah. I can chime in, we've got a funny story that uh, Scott likes to tell, and he said it, at the end of the season he'll put his number on the board. And he says, "Some of you guys are going to be my best friends, and you're going to be inviting me to your weddings and your baby showers." He said, "And some of y'all going to give me the finger." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. That is so true. You know, that is so. He is listen, right about that. I mean, and you're coaching them all the same, but. You know, some guys, because of their own abilities or lack thereof or what, you know, they don't get on the field and they're going to blame you. Right. You know, they'll blame you and you can't do anything about it. Hopefully later on in life, they can figure out, hey, that was more me than, you know, than the coach. Yeah. I mean, it's like the leader of any organization. Though. I mean, if you're a CEO or you you, you run a department or whatever, you know, right. it's, your job is to be a mentor and be, a you know, be an example and to discipline and to congratulate. And some people gravitate more, you know their response toward one or the other depending right. on their issues. Um, yes. so, um, I, I have a note here. I was like, I, I, I was thinking, I like to think that you guys won because, um, when I look at the roster, I, the fans can actually pronounce all the names. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, it's hard. It's hard to boost your morale when nobody's is yelling your name from the stands. Cause they can't, they can't pronounce it. <laughs> I, I hear you. Although there was a Dequez, I, you know, um, but, but, uh, I'll leave that one alone, but everybody else is pretty much, is that a recruiting requirement? <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I, I, matter of fact, that's the question I have in the notes. So it's like, is that the recruiting strategy? It's like, no, Oh, no, you know, you know, what do we do? Now think about it. What do we do when we can't pronounce the name? You just do the initial. <laughs> All right. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just start doing initials. You know, like, I can't say that name, bro. That's that's TK over there. Yeah. CJ. You yeah. Know? So some teams are all initials. If they right. <laughs> right. So, um so uh a couple more questions, then we'll 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 let you get back to it. Um but uh, you know, I, w- I wonder, like, you know, again, going back to that sort of the end of the game. What's your approach? Do you have like two speeches in your pocket? You know, one for if we pull this off and one for if we don't, you know, um, <laughs> well, and, and, um, and do you accidentally pull out the wrong one? Like, <laughs> like, right, sorry, guys. Right. Oh, wait, we won. You know, wrong, wrong speech. But because I'm not the head coach, so right. I, I, don't have, I don't have to get in front of the team and give a speech. But I, I, let me say this about Coach D. And it's something that, you know, I'm ever in a position to be a head coach. I'm going to apply. 
he never goes, he, he tells the guys all the time, there's nothing I can tell you guys to get you ready. You got to get yourself ready. You got to get yourself ready. And that is so true because as an individual, I got to beat the man over me. I got to be able to do my assignments and everything I've been coached to do throughout the course of the week. And who can get themselves better than yourself? You know, whatever you need to do. He don't get, you got to put on headphones and listen to your favorite music. You got to go and get silent somewhere and, and just meditate. You get yourself ready. Now, does he say something to the team every week? Oh, sure he does. Of course he does. But it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a um, written down, scripted out speech or anything like that. It's <laughs> no, from the no heart. John Wooden I, moments. I think guys feel that better anyway. No John Wooden moments. No John Wooden <laughs> moments. <laughs> Who I think was one of the greatest coaches ever, in my opinion. Just reading some of the books and things about him, seemed like a great individual to me, yeah. uh, right. John Wooden. But uh, nothing where he wrote down, writes, writes down anything, even before or after the game. He just speaks from the heart. And, uh, and that's what people like. That's what our guys like about him. You know, right. he speaks from the heart, let them know what he thinks, and we move forward from there. He's always going to be honest. And I think that's the number one thing is just to be honest, upfront and honest. And uh, they'll feel your passion before the game. Hopefully they'll feel your passion and know you're ready to go as a coach. And, they hope, you know, if it gets them hyped up a little bit, hey, more, more power to them. And then after the game, you know, you give them your, your, your feedback and what you thought happened, win or loss, uh, win or lose, excuse me, um, and, and you can move on from there. And just, I mean, about you, right? You as a person, right? Where yeah. where does your passion for this come from? You know, third grade to, you know, 30 is a long time to do anything, right? People burn out yeah. along the way. People, you know, find other interests. We talked to somebody before who, you know, switched over to acting and, right. you know, and was a professional athlete. So um, wh- why is, how did this become your lifetime passion? <laughs> that's a that's a great question. Um, you know what? After I got done playing, you know, I, I try. You know, sometimes, and, I, and I'm sure you guys, you guys are old enough to understand this. Especially Stephanie, maybe Chris, you're not quite there yet. I don't know your age. Uh, by the way, my birthday was January 6th, so I'm you know oh, I was right that, after okay, you, Capricorn. To you too. All right, <laughs> uh, uh, but um, you can go through life and you can have your own plan. Let's put it this way. So after I got done playing, I said, okay. I'm just going to maybe, you know, coach a little high school and 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 just hang around a little bit of high school, not do much. But that wasn't God's plan for my life. Right. And he has ways of changing around what you do. And so I, it got to a point where I said, what do I know? What do I know? I said, I know football. That's my passion. That's what I know. That's what I love. That's what I love. Excuse me. And so hence, I went into getting the college coaching. It was 2003 when I first got into college coaching. And, uh, and I went down with um, Nick Saban at LSU at the time because mm. Nick was my defensive back coach on that Rose Bowl team in 1988. And so he and I have a history. And ever since then, it just went ex- perfectly, perfectly. After the one, I did six months at LSU as a graduate assistant, where most people do two years as a graduate assistant at least. I do six months, get my first full-time job with Mark D'Antonio at the University of Cincinnati, which is my hometown, and then we do three years there, and then he gets the head job at Michigan State, which is my alma mater. So I know I'm in the right place at the right time <laughs> yeah. doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, my passion for it has always been there. I've always loved football. If you would talk to my parents, they said one of the first things I picked up was a football, and uh, it's just it's just who I am and what I'm supposed to do. I truly believe that, and, and, and it's not just to coach football either. It's to help groom young men uh, into men. And that's the that's the most satisfying part about it. 
helping out young men and, and having those lifelong relationships with them well after football. So, uh, and I feel like I've done that with a lot of young men. They call me to this day and we talk about other things than just football, you right. know, just life in general. And if I can help them, I help them. That's great. And, uh, and that's the number one thing. But my, where my passion comes from has always been in me. It has always been there uh, for the game of football. I just love it. And it's, it's who I am. It's what I do. And I guess it'd be my mark on, on society when it's all said and done. <laughs> that's that, awesome. That's an epithet. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so take a deep breath for a second, right? Um, yep. Show is called Innovation Crush. You know, we've talked a little bit about your career, the the amazing win, um, which I still have goosebumps about to this day. Uh, and I want you to complete a phrase for me. Um, innovation to me is... Innovation to me is doing what others don't have the patience, the um, the wisdom, and the understanding to figure out another way. That's great. That was deep. <laughs> we, we it, it, it's rare to get him quiet. I know. Yeah, it's like I'm. I'm like taking it. All, I told you, you got me all amped. I feel like I feel like I'm on the team. I want to be in the locker room again. Um, no, man. I, I I thank you. I like. I completely appreciate you joining us. This is this has been incredible, Stephanie. You have anything else you want to? No, you know? thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, you guys. I appreciate it. Next time I'm out in LA, I'll make sure I contact you guys. You, you definitely should do that. We'll we'll show you a good time. Um, okay. I do have a question. Did, so did I hear correctly that campus was shut down? It was one of those rare moments since 1855 that campus has never been shut down? Two, hey, two times in a row, Stephanie. It was Monday and Tuesday, number six and number seven in the history of Michigan State. Nice. <laughs> never happened when we everybody, were there. Everybody's thanking <laughs> you. No class. Like, it was... <laughs> Forget about the game. Uh, you don't, I don't care if you like football or not. Like <laughs> it's too cold and, to get out there. So like, that. and you know it's cold when it's too cold for Michigan. <laughs> no question about it. No doubt about it. All right. Well, thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, everybody. This has been another episode of Innovation Crush. Thank you, Harlan Barnett, Coach Michigan State Spartans, and uh, we will talk to you next time. Thank you. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Slicinger. I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and 3 comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. 
Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.